Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Hello! Well, I don't know if you'd be able to tell just now listening to this, but we are out and about. We are on on location, we are en route. Yeah. Uh, We're out on the street because the the episode is about walking, so we thought we'd come for a walk. How are you enjoying this? I'm really enjoying it. I wondered if we should get our phones out. You know your phone is tracking how many steps you do a day. Oh, good thinking. I wondered if we could compare... Who does the most steps in a in a given day? You know, I'm not sure whether I think we I'd like a sort of I think this might be the Iowa caucuses this uh, <laughs> this um, this thing because I don't think it's kind of right. I mean, I'm sorry to sort of be a pain in the neck. So, does it give you your average across well, the, the week year? Of the 26th, 7th of January. Yeah, it says. 6,366 steps per day, which seems... Do we think mine is higher or lower? Higher. It's 13,279. You are serious. It's just gone up to 280 because of the, what we're doing now. I can't believe your numbers. Let's just look at... How do you look at the year? What's the, You're so competitive. What, it's really upsetting you that the, one of my metrics is higher than what, yours. What's the... Um, you walk Jean to nursery, do you? Walk Jean to nursery. Harvest over there, where I buy my groceries. Mm, looks nice shop. Yeah. It, if I went in there, Ed, I promise you, it'd be like Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Do you think, should we try that? Well, uh, yeah, now I feel like... The, Ooh, let's not get run I'm over. I'm not going to get acknowledged at all. There's my guy. You see, he's, he's smiling at me. I'm, I'm very, very well liked in this supermarket. Really? Yeah. You see, that Hello. seems surprising Hello. to you. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm well. How are you? Good. You busy? Yeah. He's good. He's at nursery, he's at nursery today. Yeah. See, I told well, you I'm very well liked in this supermarket. You are well liked. Yeah, yeah. That's two people. Look at that. But also, Look at that. Two, it's like quite uncharacteristic of you that you do, you're normally so no. sort of misanthropic. I am misanthropic, but what I'm good at, because I'm needy to be liked, I'm good at these short interactions. Right. 
Uh, I'm like desperately. Yes, somebody I'm like needing a selfie. Somebody just said hello to you, <laughs> I, or did you sort of get no, right into someone's face and say it's me? Yeah, Miliband. yeah. I was more like that, to yeah. be honest. Uh, I was sort of like it was kind of needy selfie moment. Why are we on a walk? What what is walking in context of this episode? Well, we're talking about walking. We're talking to Shane O'Mara, who is a neuroscientist. Um, about the benefits of walking. I think we kind of know that there are benefits, but he's really compelling. Uh, then we are going to be talking to Joe Irvin, who runs the Living Streets organization, formerly the Pedestrians Association, and Susan Claris, who is a transport planner and works for Arab. And then our cheerful person this week is somebody, I'm guessing you've known her whole life. Her dad is Alistair Campbell, but, and she does a podcast with him, which is why I mentioned him. But away from that, she is an up-and-coming comedian in her own right. She's got a lot of stuff going on. It's Grace Campbell. Yes. So, uh, so what's your reason to be cheerful, then? My reason to be cheerful is that at the initiative of my wife, all good things happen at the initiative of my wife, We've started to go on family film trips. Oh, hmm. what, Saturday morning, uh, Sunday afternoon, actually. Right, right. And what did so, you go see? So far, uh, we went. We went to see um, the Private Life of David Copperfield. How was that? Good. Um, and Little Women. And how was that? It was good, and it was good to take our two boys to Little Women. They really enjoyed it. But I'll tell you what, the cinema thing was definitely cheerful. But I, 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 there was an experience which immediately made me think of you. It was kind of slightly posh cinema, and they made a little announcement about not having your mobile phone on, and the man said, enjoy the show. And then about three-quarters of the way through, I thought I'd take a quick sneaky peek at my phone. Ed! And, and literally, he was then, like, within about five seconds, he was there saying to me, uh, I'm afraid to say you're going to have to turn off your mobile phone. It was c- quite embarrassing. In a I can't believe you did that. S- small cinema. I thought yeah. better of you. I can't um, believe you did that. But I was that. quite impressed by their, I mean, the speed of response. I mean, it was like, you know, the armed police sort of arrived. <laughs> so he's scouring the audience constantly. He must be, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I respect him for that. I want more you, people You like approve that. of that, don't you? Yeah, very, very strongly And approve. what's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful, I mentioned it last week, but then it happened. I went to Mamma Mia... The party. Uh, yes, I've been waiting for the report back. What was it like? It was incredible. As I mentioned, it's a replica of the Greek taverna from Mamma Mia. Yeah. You go and have uh, a meal, and while you're having the meal, the waiting staff yeah. act out a play, which yeah. is different to Mamma Mia. It's not the same story. It's, it's set in the same cinematic universe, yeah. I believe-ish. Um, but there's lots of songs and... Um, we weren't in the most expensive seats. We were high up on a balcony. Right. Guess who comes walking along where we're sitting? Bill Clinton. No, better than that. Hillary Clinton. Better than that. Barack Obama. I'm going to... Uh, no, no, no. Not no, quite me, as good as that. Give me a clue. We were at Mamma Mia the party. I think the, cue, the clue is in, in the setting of the... Bjorn or Yes! Reyes. Yes! No. Yes! I was too starstruck and shy to go over and say hello to him. I mean, there is an irony here, which is that on Bjorn's podcast, he'll be saying, you'll never guess who was at <laughs> the Music. I'll Jeff tell you Lloyd. what I did do. I went over to the table that he'd been sitting at, yeah. and I got a friend to take a picture of me with his napkin tucked into my shirt and holding up the glass that he'd been drinking from. Well, that, that is... Do you think you'd recommend it for me? No, I don't, I don't think you'd enjoy it unless you could guarantee that Bjorn was going to be there. I think a lot of people would enjoy it. I just don't think it's for you. You, do, you don't like a musical. Did you, was there a lot of getting up out of your seat? Were you singing along? Oh, I, yeah, sing along. I'm just not While one sitting? Of, yes. I'm not, right. I'm not a good mover. Right. I've not got rhythm. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
We have on the line in Dublin, Shane O'Mara, who is a professor of experimental brain research at Trinity College. He's author of a fantastic book called In Praise of Walking. Shane, hello. Hello. I'm delighted to be speaking with you. He's the walking champion of all walking champions, really, isn't he? He is the walker of all walkers. I yeah. mean, uh, uh, we, we were just saying before we turned the microphones on, big, big fans of walking in all its form here, ambling, pottering, strolling, striding, rambling. I mean, g- g- give me any of them. You, you, you argue that walking is what makes us human. What do you mean by that? I, I, I think, you know, humans, uh, and I do make this case, uh, uh, walk in a distinctly different way to all other animals, uh, and we undergo a transition that is quite unlike any other species on the planet. You know, if you if you think back to when you were a kid or when you observe other kids, they crawl around on all fours, and then around about a year or so of age, they make this dramatic change uh, where uh, they uh, start to sit up, they start to pull themselves up, and they go from a stable to a very unstable position. Uh, but uh, my argument is very straightforward, that uh, without this transition, uh, our brains wouldn't be mobile in the world in the way that they are. Our hands would not be free. So he- this kind of change is is the core of, of the kind of change that allowed us to walk out of Africa and conquer the planet. Well, that's pretty big deal then. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> I think it's time for a bit of Kierkegaard. I think it's his first appearance on our podcast, but you quote him uh, in your book, every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. it y- your case is it's good for mental and physical health, yes? Yeah, absolutely, that it's good for body and brain. And, uh, you know, just let's take the body just for a moment. Uh, we We humans are, again, doing a very strange thing to ourselves. We might spend... I guess, maybe 50 or 60 hours a week sitting around, which is something that we've never done before. Um, And uh, we need to counteract this uh, tendency we have towards a sedentary lifestyle. And the the easy and obvious thing to do is to get up on our feet and get moving. Um, And we know that the the very act of walking changes things in your breathing, changes your heart, uh, changes the, uh, the stress and strain that you place on your muscles. It's good for you in in myriad ways in terms of how your body functions, but it is also remarkably good for you in terms of of, uh, how your brain functions as well. Tell tell us a bit more about that. If you're seated at the moment, I'm standing and walking while I'm talking to you in my office. Um, But if you're seated, uh, you've got one of those those treadmills or or just walking around. No, no, I'm walking diagonally across (laughs) from one corner of my office to the other. Wow. Do you do that a lot? I I am hoping to get a treadmill desk, but I haven't got one yet. Um, There there are all sorts of ones out there. So anyway, that's kind of a by the by. Um, So when you're seated... Uh, you're not actually placing much strain on any part of your body apart from the small of your back, which is why you might have a a lower back pain. But when you stand, uh, everything changes for you. Um, Your breathing changes. uh, The brain has to do something which it hasn't had to worry about before, which is maintaining stability. Uh, So getting upright and staying upright is no mean achievement for a brain. And a, a whole series of rhythms that uh, previously were quiet in your brain uh, suddenly kick into play uh, and everything changes for you. Your hearing becomes a little bit sharper. Your vision becomes a, a little bit sharper. 
uh, and uh, your brain is readied for action. And I argue in the book that the reason we have a brain is for movement. You don't need a brain if you're not moving around in the world. And because we have a brain that's built for movement, we should take advantage of that. And and it does something to your creativity. Yeah. So uh, what we we know from observing the, the great artists of the and uh, novelists and others of the of the generations is that they walk uh, and they walk a lot. Uh, so Immanuel Kant, the, one of the greatest philosophers of all time, you could set the clock by him in Königsberg. Stephen King, uh, the, the novelist, <laughs> walks an astonishing amount, and we can demonstrate experimentally that uh, uh, people become a little bit more creative after short periods of walking around the world. So a, a very simple way of doing this is if you're seated at your desk and you pick up a, a pen or some, other, some one of the other objects that might be lying around and you have to ask yourself, how many, how many uses can I come up with for this object? So this is a kind of an alternative uses task. Um, if you're seated, and you do this task, you might come up with four or five or six. Um, but if I get you to walk around for 10 minutes before you do tasks like this, the numbers of ideas that you generate approximately doubles. Amazing. Uh, yeah, and there's also something else that's really important about this uh, finding. Uh, it has recently been replicated in uh, Taiwan with a, a group of people in their 70s. What you find is that People in their 70s who walk for a short period prior to generating ideas come up with about twice as many of them as do seated 20-year-olds. Wow. So uh, th this is, uh, I think, you know, one of these kind of overlooked little tricks um, to uh, ensure that you keep uh, some degree of cre creativity uh, as uh, you get older. Now, Shane, give us some advice. How much should we be walking each week? Um and how should we be walking more? We should all be walking an awful lot more. So the, the average child, when it learns to, to walk, does about 2,300 steps per hour, uh, which is a lot. Uh, when you consider that the average adult in a Western society does about 4,000, 4,500 steps a day. So not very much. Uh, the Japanese are the best at walking. They do about 5,500 steps a day, which is really not so much. Uh, whereas our uh, uh, people who are living what are sometimes referred to as ancestral lifestyles, they will walk 15 kilometers a day and they have astonishing heart health. So they're the people that live in the blue zones around the world and live to like 120. Yes, yeah, uh, exactly. What's, what's 15 uh, kilometers in steps? So I think, you know, we've all heard this 10,000 steps a day thing. Um, it, it, that was a marketing thing for pedometers in the 60s. Uh, but it actually, I think, is quite useful because 10,000 steps, if, if your stride length is a meter, uh, is more or less 10 kilometers. So if you can do 10,000 steps a day consistently, uh, that's what you need to do. Um, but what I would suggest is, you do it in bursts across the day rather than exhausting yourself uh, in one go. We're built to do kind of distributed activity. Um, so you can easily hack out 10 or 12,000 steps in a day. Uh, some of it should be at speed. Uh, it should be difficult to speak when uh, you're doing it. Uh, you should break a, a moderate sweat. So let's say six kilometers an hour. <laughs> Which is hard in a city. This is the bit I struggle with. I was going to ask about this because to sort of to go into sort of controversial territory, what's the balance between sort of walking and running or walking and cycling or walking and swimming? And and 
but your thing is really it can't just be sedate walking it's got to be you've got to sort of get your heart rate up don't you really yeah so again i think you need to ask yourself what the purpose of the walk you're going on is so if you're going to uh, have a think and a chat with yourself about a difficult problem maybe not uh, pump out the uh, the power walk maybe do it at a little bit of a slower rate but if you're doing it for the purposes of cardiac health um, you know doing 30 40 minutes at about six kilometers an hour is is kind of the territory you want to be in uh, i don't want to come across as being anti-runner or anti-cycling or anti-swimming i think these things are all great activities um i suppose the one thing i'd say about running is that per million uh steps run as opposed to per million steps walked what you see is runners injured themselves rather a lot, uh, whereas walkers hardly injured themselves at all. The the uh, uh, level of injury is kind of flat. Uh, so running does present certain problems. Our cities aren't good for running. Um, you can turn on your ankle, you can fall, you can do quite a few things that you mightn't do uh, when you're when you're uh, walking. Can we talk about um, town planning and you know what kind of thought can be given to town planning in the interests of walkers? And also, you've got this idea that psychologists and neuroscientists should be involved in that. T- tell us a bit more. I guess the point really is that you know when you think about where people want to go in our towns and cities, they go. They want to go to places where other people are. So the tourist attractions in London, just to take an example, are places like Covent Garden. Um, There are no cars uh, present in Covent Garden. People aren't going to the uh, A40 West to uh, meet with others, except if they're maybe nerdy uh, motorway enthusiasts. (laughs) But but the more general point is that um, we need to make our towns and cities uh, have thoroughfares that are places that people want to be. In other words, we need to stop thinking of thoroughfares as places for cars. We need to think of them as destinations uh, for people. Uh, And that means the kinds of things that are are interesting to us psychologically need to be built into them. They need to be beautiful. They need to be green. um, They need to have boundedness. uh, They need to have a quality known as porosity. Uh, So uh, there must be lots of angles and intersections and places that people can tangentially meet each other by accident. And I don't sense from our current generation of town planners that they they think of people as anything other than the kind of awkward bits of squashy flesh that really should be contained in cars. Can I, can I no, offen- ask- no offence to any of the town, town planners, planners who are listening, who, against who are an exception, obviously, to that. Right, uh, we have a thing on the podcast, Shane, called the Jeffocracy, which is where Jeff is a supreme uh ruler if you if he made you which i think frankly he should uh the minister for walking not minister for silly walks not minister for silly walks no uh what's the first thing you would do uh ban all city center car parking oh car parking not cars no people won't bring their cars into town if they've nowhere to park them ah interesting um and devote all of those car spaces to uh widening footpaths uh, to bringing in small micro environments, to providing uh, stands for bicycles, uh, and uh, to creating space for fixed line uh, transports like uh, trams. Wow, sounds good. And now I've been standing up for the sort of second half of this interview. Is that is standing up a good thing? 
Standing is better than sitting, without any yeah. doubt. Uh, but there's no reason why uh, you couldn't be walking uh, if the space allows you to. So I've been walking continuously since we started this. And I guess I've done about 1,500 steps uh, uh, in that period. Wow. It's a revelation. You, you are the champion walking advocate of all walking advocates. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Now, to talk further about what we can do and the and the vision for walking, I'm glad to say that we're joined by Joe Irvin, Chief Executive of Living Streets, and Susan Claris, who's a transport planner and currently Associate Director of the engineering firm Arab. Thank you so much both for, for joining us. Joe, tell us, um, first of all, what's the story behind Living Streets and, and what do you do? So what we are is we're, we're a charity, we're the UK charity for everyday walking. And we started back in 1929 and we were called the Pedestrians Association. And why? Because suddenly there was motor traffic suddenly building up and not much control over it. So there were 6,000 people killed that year on the roads oh with only and a million yeah. motor cars so what did they want they wanted pedestrian crossing so were the people who brought you the zebra crossing ultimately yeah they wanted a driving test before you drove cars which didn't come in for quite a long time amazingly and they wanted a speed limit on the roads which didn't exist at the time so those those came in Amazing. in the 1930s um but nowadays what we do is we uh, campaign we um we advise on good kind of streetscapes um and we um we also deliver projects around the country most notably while walk to school we've heard from shane why he's what he thinks the health benefits of walking are when you advocate for walking and for 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 living streets what 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 what's the sort of case you make yeah well so i mean physical activity is really important but there's also the environment and this is probably an increasing concern. So it used to, so probably a year or two ago, it was air quality, but I think climate change has come back as a major issue. And people are realising they can't just solve this whole issue. Transport's the biggest emitter. Um, it's about a third of all CO2 emissions in the UK. And it can't all be solved by just trying to make it all electric. So we can't go from 38 million vehicles, make them all electric, and it'll solve everything. There's got to be a reduction in in. Uh, traffic so we've got to drive less we've got to walk more and be more active um, as part of the solution even to the climate crisis susan t tell us from your perspective because you you come from, it from a slightly different place you you're a transport planner as i said in the introduction you work for arab what, what, what tell us what you work on in terms of walking and people being able to walk and, and cities and, and how we design them mm -hmm. it's it's a whole range of things and i think it's looking at walking both as a mode in its own right but also the really important role it plays getting us to the bus stop getting us to train stations so about half the walking done in london is for public transport so i see walking as the, the glue that holds the city together but also it's a really important role in town centers there are so many um, struggling high streets at the moment and for a long time there's been the misconception that the only people who spend money are those with cars Whereas research, including research by Living Streets, has, has, has shown that actually it's the people who walk to town centres who spend more money. They stay for longer, they make more trips, they spend more money. So it's in terms of actually some of the failing high streets. So walkability has benefits all round, including for employers like my own as well. So we know that if our staff walk or cycle to work, they tend to be happier, they tend to be more alert, they have fewer days off sick, they're more creative. So the, the, the benefits are tangible throughout the whole of a, a town or city give us a sort of fantasy of you know people listening to the podcast will live in different places cities towns villages but give us a sort of fantasy for where what we what who what should we aspire to around the world or 
One it, one of my favourite examples is a relatively small town in northwest Spain called Pontevedra, and it's often described as being car free, but it's not. Cars are allowed, but under very controlled circumstances. So it really is a, strictly if you if you need a vehicle, and then the vehicle has to go at very low speeds and is is subordinate to to walking in particular. And the reason I like Pontevedra is, I said, a it's a small place. It's only eighty thousand population, so it isn't a New York or a London that other places can't relate to. But also the mayor there started giving priority to people on foot 20 years ago. He's been re-elected seven times on that basis, which is fantastic. But also there's 20 years of experience. And the key thing is, is that the population in that town has gone up while surrounding towns, the population has gone down. And critically, childhood population has gone up where elsewhere it's declining. So it's it's a city that just puts people walking first. How do they police the you can use your car if you need it thing? It's a, a permit system. So is that for people with disabilities, for yes, example? Yeah. So, you know, cars are allowed, but they're, they're allowed in as, as guests, if you like. And it's, and it just, it creates, I went there last year, but it just creates a fantastic environment for walking around because you haven't got constant traffic noise. You haven't got the risk of safety that, that cars bring. People are just more relaxed. And how there big are, is that town? Uh, 80,000 people. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not a tiny place. No. No, it's not tiny, but it's not huge. Because when you talk about what happens in, I said, the London or New York, people always say, oh, but we're not London, it's different there. And yes, every place is different. But you're, you're starting to see other smaller places in the UK. You've got cities like York that are interested, Brighton, um, even Birmingham, sort of now ha- stating intentions to, it's often described as being car-free, but at least it's to reduce the dominance of motor vehicles in the areas. Joe, tell us what are the other major barriers to to, to walking? Because, it, because it's not just about whether cars are banned or allowed or, or semi-banned, is it? No, it's not. But it's the dominance of traffic is a big thing. So we survey people um, and uh, traffic is so it's the speed of traffic or the amount of traffic or the danger from traffic is often high in people's minds, not least parents of children going to school. So that's a big factor. Sometimes the roads are so big and dominant that they can sever an entire community and people don't feel safe crossing the road there's the maintenance and the look and feel of a place can you make it more attractive look at what's been done in waltham forest recently it's a really attractive place now to go and walk around i used to live there in the 80s and it certainly wasn't quite so so nice then and in your manifesto for the election which i which i read speed limits yeah so fast vehicles are dangerous so we know speed kills um but also they're very off-putting to people to go to a place and find it because that's noisy it seems dangerous it's hostile so uh, so we're we're proposing um along with cycling organizations there should be a standard 20 mile an hour limit in urban areas in built-up areas that doesn't mean there'll be every single road but it becomes the standard whereas at the moment the standard's 30 and you'll see in lots of london boroughs have gone to 20 mile an hour the city of london's gone to 20 mile an hour and there are many many towns and cities around the country are trying to do the same it's round about the speed where people feel a bit safer susan what are the things you can do to make a street more walkable there's First of all, I think every street can be improved. There's not a road I walk down where I don't think it could be better. And quite often it's quite simple things like um, the surface of the, the paving, the condition of the footway, or is there's litter left on it, or there are signboards blocking it, or bikes, particularly bike hires, sometimes the high bikes blocking it. Um, TfL, uh, Transport for London, has a, a um, healthy streets indicators, and that talks about having you know, people from all, all walks of life, every pun intended, on it. It's about having shade and shelter, 
somewhere to rest. There are very, very few benches around, but a lot of people do need to do need to rest or want to sit down. Um, it's about having interesting streets. So you have um, uh, interesting sort of shop frontages, not having lots of blank walls or shutters that are down. It's about having, they, they use the expression not too noisy, which I think is an interesting one because people don't always want complete silence. It's having that sort of feel that there are other people around. Um, one of the things I feel really strongly about is having things like public toilets. They are very important in making a city more walkable. Um, so it's a, it's a whole range of things that range, you know, from greenery and seating, wider footways, not having footways blocked or obscured, ideally having fewer cars parked on them because then it gives a, a safer feel. Um, it's about having right levels of lighting. So it, it's lots of things that, that work together rather than, than one thing. So we have local groups, about 40 local groups around, around the country. And just a little example of how you can make a difference. So the London group got in touch with Transport for London and it was about the crossing time. So when there is a light control crossing, how long do you get to cross? And there's lots of evidence come out that there's a standard speed that the planners use, which is 1.2 metres a second. Um, and many people particularly older people don't it's walk a really that fast. good point and so just try so they've gone round and they've done surveys and they've adjusted the timing a lot of little crossings in london and it's a really a small thing it's so easy to do it's not expensive and yet it makes a big difference and it turns out that 1.2 meters per second by the way comes from a single study in the united states in the 1950s and it's just been used by everybody ever since and so it's not really you know it's not really a assigned to, mo- to modern people and with an aging population just giving a bit people more time to cross can really help and how do we get change you know sometimes it's, it requires quite a leap to go from where we are to where we would like to be we can sort of aspire to pontevedra but it's taken 20 years and you know what what, what what's your view both of you about how how this change starts to happen I think one of the key ways it can happen is by having trials so people can actually see what a difference something can make. So it can be quite simple, such as um, closing a street's traffic at one end just requires a bollard, doesn't require too much too much work to do it. And then people can see what the what the result of that is. Um, there have been some large scale trial schemes. So Bank Junction is probably the, the, the most well known one and the biggest one in London. So Bank Junction was closed to traffic during during the working day. And after um, 18 months experience, the City of London decided to make that permanent. Right. So that was a really good way for support to build up. Because That's otherwise, yeah, from the city, from people, because they could actually see see what the change was and what the impact would be. And so I think having trials so people can actually see the change is is one of the most effective ways of, of bringing around change. I'd love to, to draw attention to Jeanette Sadiq Khan, who is the transport transportation i should say commissioner for new york under mayor bloomberg and made radical change and one of the things they did was to pedestrianize times square which people thought how can they possibly do that absolute uproar from certain quarters and uh and they trialed it and they trialed it they did the first day they she said she they were watching it and um the the road was clear but there was nobody there and she got in touch with people they went to local stores and bought little fold-up um, plastic seats, put them there, and by the afternoon it was full, and people were sitting there reading, they were eating, they were talking with each other, and they never looked back. And, they, and, and when it, did that happen, Joe? So that's probably five years ago, yeah, something, something like, like that. that yeah. And then the the, the the mayor who succeeded, Mayor Bloomberg, was going to reverse that, and there was a, such an outcry against that that he didn't do it. So it's still pedestrianised and really thriving today. 
and she's done also really good stuff just taking out small parking areas yeah. again so you know traders are normally really f- fearful of that but so do a trial take out 10 parking spaces somewhere put down some green paint or something get some plants get some chairs parklets. yeah parklets and and all of a sudden it isn't a que- it isn't a question of where do the cars go it's where are the people come from and it you know so it can fundamentally change the use of a place to state the obvious this does also depend on the quality of public transport yeah so to get people into city yeah. or town centers yeah so a lot of the stuff in london works because you do have a public transport alternative so there are two aspects to this really one is we've got to have better public transport and as as susan said people give up the cars for longer journeys you need good public transport so you can walk to the bus or possibly a, a train or metro um to make the journey uh, but the second thing is is just planning so being able to walk to somewhere that you want to go to most people if you ask them want that they want a corner shop they want a school with primary school at least within walking distance probably secondary school doctors gp surgery in a lot of places that isn't the case particularly new new developments because it's being you know rushed through without thinking through what needs to be support now that is a big driver of how of, of people walking and having to go further and if there's no public transport either you're forced to drive and if you think of some of the new new build communities including in south yorkshire you'll find that the people have got no alternative so definitely they go together you talked about schools earlier um talk to us about your walk to school campaign because that has been very successful sure so um we've been going just over 10 years and we now in about 2000 schools which is about a million children right across the country so what we do is we'll go into the school we have a a computer system called travel tracker so each day the kids go in and they'll go "Wumph, that's my kind of icon maybe a penguin or something and that's how i traveled to school this day and they've got seven options walk cycle drove whatever so they so they just tap on that so we've got this massive data actually which is fantastic from that but what we say so what wow wow started off as is if you walk once a week for a month you'll get a badge and we get the children take part in a big competition to design the badges and for primary school children it's still a really effective incentive as blue peter would verify so it works like that but it is about getting messages so we'll do we'll do assemblies when we'll try and to get the message through to parents because they're often making the decision. Um, and we'll also go out and address the physical problems. So safety on the streets, maybe a crossing, maybe sometimes it's not even the safety of the crossing, but it's just a very forbidding sort of environment. Uh, one time I remember in Manchester, we just kind of painted up a wall, which is like a factory wall. But without that, it was just very uh, forbidding, you know, for right, people yeah, to yeah, walk yeah. along. Uh, so make it a bit bright and cheerful and kids did it. And they, they get to school, they're getting some of their exercise before they get to school and the um, studies say and the teachers say they're more alert and learn better when they're in that state we have a, a, a fantasy utopia on the podcast called the jeffocracy i'm a benign hands-off leader but i'm very pro walking if i was to make you joint walking sar i mean take your pick but i'm thinking walking sars head walker what would be the first thing you would do on day one first thing i would do would be to implement a system of national road pricing interesting that would be tolls on roads yes or some mechanism for charging um because and which I they think, have in london yes but i think it needs to be done at the the national level because cities are fearful of doing it in case because it isn't a level playing field so i think actually having a, a national road pricing scheme that could be um designed to deter short journeys um if it was something more sophisticated it could deter them at certain times of the day or when air quality is poor 
Um, and I think that would be people would then actually be more aware of their decisions. I think the big problem is once you've got a car, because the, the fixed cost of the car is so high, you will use it as much as you possibly can to justify that cost. So once you've got a car, you've got your car keys in your pocket, you're going to use it for virtually every trip. So national road pricing. Joe Walker in chief. So I, I, being a bit fiscal about this, I'd like to see some long term investment plans. I think lots of stop start and very minor funding in this area. But if you if you ask me for one thing that you might change in one fell swoop, I'd probably say the twenty mile an hour in urban areas. That would make a big big difference to the, to the feel um, of areas and make them much more attractive. And the good thing is, my national road pricing system would fund Joe's improvements. There we go. I'm sold. Susan Claris and Joe Irvin, thanks so much. They've got the job. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, we're doing the up sum in a new way. Do you know, for years when I used to be on the radio, I used to do the show stood up like this. Are you serious? I I turned 40 and I just thought, I'm going to start sitting down. From that point onwards, I used to sit. You do all the shows standing up? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably give myself back trouble in later life through standing up so much. I mean, I was really inspired by that episode. Yeah, me too. I I thought that was like, and I think you deserve a bit of credit for it because you sort of said the other week, oh, I think we should do something a bit more, you know, down to earth. Just, just on and it's something like yeah. that clicks on an individual basis. Exactly. We've been doing lots of sort of big yeah. ideas exactly. and ways to well, change I think the world. Well done, you. Thank you. I mean, it's just the business, this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't imagine anybody's listening to this and, and, and is anti-walking. But you know, I think there's something interesting, which is that that stuff that Shane was saying—that you psychologically feel better after walking—is something I always sort of notice. But I don't think. You just think, oh, well, I feel better after a walk, but you don't. It's just a, it must be a function of sort of the way the brain works. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, and all the stuff about you get twice as many good ideas and all of that. And what Susan was saying, it was only something she'd noticed, but that if you see kids who've walked to school, they tend to be a bit more alert and engaged. And that, that I guess, would tie in with Shane's theories. Yeah. We all want to walk more and we want to see our towns and cities made into more walking friendly environments. Absolutely. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you've got views on walking, um, particularly if you're in favor of it or you can work out how we can get to this new world please do uh, email us you can find more on our podcast cheerfulpodcast.com be good to get a counterpoint as well with <laughs> the anti-walking anti-walkers yeah yeah the, the anti if the anti-walkers are listening uh let us know um this is from christina turnshoff i hope it's i've pronounced your name right dear cheerful team greetings from silicon valley wow wow we're going to silicon valley jeff i mean we have done quite a lot of episodes criticizing silicon valley we might not be welcome there well, we, we'd, be, we'd be happy to have a trip, though. Um, <laughs> I'm a European transplant and PhD student in political science in faraway California. I mean, that just, at this time of year, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It Jeez. does. It does. Walking, always, walking in California would be fun. Yeah. I always enjoy listening to a bit of cheerfulness from across the pond. Imagine my excitement when you did an episode on progressive trade deals, which is, in fact, my PhD topic. I loved how you made some very technical problems approachable to the general public. Well done, Jeff. There is, however, one small thing I would like to point out in the interest of nuance and accuracy. Not so well done, Jeff. Your guest from the Roosevelt Institute claimed that Bill Clinton's implementation of NAFTA in 1993 was unconditional on good labour and environmental practices. In fact, much of Clinton's presidential campaign at the time was about only passing NAFTA if he could renegotiate side deals on both labour and the environment. He did just that shortly after he got into office. Now, these side deals are often seen as too weak and leave a lot to be desired, but I still feel like claiming there was no effort at all to make NAFTA conditional on good labour or environmental practices is somewhat un- unfair and should not go unchallenged. Other than that, thank you for a great episode. Keep up the great work. And where do we go from the sunny skies of California? Well, I, I was going to say, we go to Silicon Valley. Don't well, we? no, now in the next email. I mean, it'd be nice oh. to go to Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's like straight away. Yeah, yeah. but, but the, in, the, in the immediate future, we go from Silicon Valley to... Norwich. Yes, of course. Quiz of the week. Norwich. Uh, Jacob Hamilton <laughs> Who says... Who needs Silicon Valley when you've got, you got Norwich? Norwich, yeah. I heard you uh, talking last episode about interesting places to be listening from. Norwich! And although I'm currently in grey, cloudy Norwich... No! No, it gets better. Oh, God, yeah. Even better than just yeah, Norwich. Yeah. He says, I'm listening from my lab. In Norwich? He's in a white coat in Norwich. Wow. Like Beaker. Wow. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, yeah. um, where I'm working Over on my, my yeah. PhD yeah. discovering PhDs. Yeah, new antibiotics, discovering antibiotics in wow. Norwich. In Norwich. Resistance to these drugs is increasing. It's expected to cause 10 million Norwich. deaths a year by 2050. And, you know, be respectful yeah. of the 10 million. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Antibiotic <laughs> resistance gets barely any attention compared to the climate emergency, which is equally important. It's while, particularly important in Norwich. Yeah, yeah in all, of all places. Yeah. Uh, while listening to the podcast, I'm looking at leafcutter ant colonies. Wow. And seeing how they use ant... I didn't know they had their own antibiotics. Ant Obviously, that's where it comes from, yeah, you idiot. Yeah. yeah, we got it from the ants. Antibiotics. Yeah. To help us find new drugs for humans, as well as studying new ways of using existing drugs to help combat resistance. Maybe you could do an episode of antibiotic resistance in the future. Live from Norwich, the quiz of the week. Definitely. Yeah. Email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. And 
in this week's cheerful people slot we're, we're, we're joined by somebody i mean is this somebody you've seen grow up ed what's, what's the story here What's your Definitely. first memory? This is Grace Campbell, uh, who is the co-host of Football, Feminism and Everything in Between, which is a podcast she co-hosts with her dad, Alistair Campbell. You do loads of stuff besides yeah, that. My first memory of Grace is as a bump, actually. As a bump? Really? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, obviously your mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you, were you born in 1994? Four. Four. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. The wow. year D-Ream Things Can Only Get Better was released. Well, I do like to think that I inspired New Labour because my dad started work- my dad started working for Tony when I was like a week old. Exactly, mm. and you now are multi multi hatted. Mm-hmm. You are a podcaster, which you host with your dad. Football, feminism, everything in between. You're a comedian. Yeah, you're currently on tour. Yeah, uh, you're writing a book. Yeah. Where do we even start? Let's, let's start with the podcast. Yeah. So, so football, feminism and everything in between. I mean, it, it sounds descriptive. What can you what can you tell us about it? I mean, it's sort of, it's me and my dad. It started from when I, I uh, called him. He was hosting LBC show about feminism. Yes. And I called him. You called well, him out, really? I called him out. But I didn't really like, he didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. I didn't really know what I was going to say. And I basically called him out for all the reasons why I don't think he's a very good feminist. I mean, he really isn't. No, he's because he's gotten better. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in what ways? A low bar. In what the ways wasn't he a good feminist then? Well, he, he, so the three things that I said were you call women birds. Still. Right, okay. You don't do anything around the house. Mm. And he uses the excuse of I can't, so I can't work the coffee machine or I can't turn on the dishwasher because he just doesn't want to. And he's grossed out by women talking about their periods. But so he's a work in progress, but at least he's, I mean, I felt I was on your podcast and I felt like he's in his own sort of rather denialist way. He is sort of acknowledging that that he kind of must, even the doing of the podcast must be sort of an admission that he kind of knows. The fact that he doesn't mind being sort of called out and shamed for things that he hasn't quite learned yet. And I do respect that because he doesn't get particularly defensive he's just like okay i actually didn't really know what that meant or i didn't really know how that would make someone feel so i'm happy to change that he just hadn't really been exposed to kind of that kind of conversation around gender and and feminism tell us about the your book on the future of men it's currently being written it's work in progress like your dad i've done four interviews to sort of structure it so i've done my dad my boyfriend my gay best friend and a um, fictional interview of my future son so it's like sort of going through the different like archetypes of men in my life and so that those interviews have been really interesting and and actually the most interesting one was with Jack who's my best friend because he is talking about being a gay man but in a very male world and having actually loads of straight men and, and his ob- observations of toxic masculinity within straight men and gay men as well and I've gotten a lot of stuff from that and then I guess the book it's like a short book it's an essay basically 15,000 words is um a manifesto for how I think men could be better feminists so how can how can we get better well I think it's the notion that men can be feminists so like even my boyfriend I've interviewed him and he's been with me for like a year and a half and you couldn't be with me and not be a feminist like it just wouldn't work but he won't say he's one he has this real kind of like 
I don't want to say I'm a feminist because I hate men who say they're feminists just to sort of show off. In that they're a bit too thrilled with themselves. Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you something. When I go and buy my wife Tampax, I I really think, aren't I a great guy? And I want the person at the cash register to think, what a great, what a great modern guy there, like out buying tampons, knowing exactly how many drips she needs on the, on the box, you know, like I I, I do feel that I'm probably one of those annoying people. But I think there are a lot of them, especially in the dating world. Like when you date as a feminist, you'll get, meet guys who are like yeah of course i'm a feminist and actually in principle they're not whereas my boyfriend's the opposite in principle he is a complete feminist but he just has this kind of weird thing about the label so it's so that's one barrier that we need to get over we need to basically make feminism seem like it's something for men you're Uh, a feminist yeah you said that on our podcast yeah but i mean flawed yeah, yeah, well, we're all flawed. Yeah. I I've put this big bit in my book, and I'm doing writing some material on this as well. The first time I dumped a boy, he started crying, right? And I thought it was the most embarrassing, pathetic thing. And I asked him to stop crying, and then I left, right? Which is internalized patriarchy. Yeah. Basically, I internalized the idea that men can't show their vulnerabilities, men can't be weak, and that was when I was 18. So I have evolved since then. But that's, you know, something that I picked up on when I was younger. So having this really strong male father who sort of was yes. really tough, but then my dad's really interesting cuz he does have his vulnerabilities in his like mental health and he is very open with that, but I always saw him as this tough man and I always saw anyone who was sort of more as vulnerable wimpish. as wimpish yeah oh, which has really changed now but that is something that was ingrained in me so really we're none of us are perfect now you t- takes us neatly on to your comedy show which is called i'm why i'm never going into politics yeah um attention seeking title well it's compelling tell us about it the show is called why i'm never going into politics the subtitle of the show will be comes here Alice Campbell's daughter talk about why she's never going into politics it was my first fringe I wanted to sell out so that was firstly like a marketing thing that I did because I knew that people would come I think I've given you a little blurb you haven't did I? you were like yeah. the, the quote yeah. on my poster yeah. at the fringe it was like Grace is much funnier than her dad <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the show is ultimately about like my childhood in politics where it's brought me today I do lots of like feminist campaigning outside of you're definitely involved in politics yeah exactly you've gone into politics great sorry but but why I would never want to be a politician and what's what's the top three reasons well firstly I just think I couldn't do it like I'd be a terrible one because I'd be really bad at saying things that I don't think I'd be really bad at like not swearing on on tv and radio i still love taking drugs and i'm very open about that i have spent the last five years talking about my vagina sex masturbation so i sort of argue the case that firstly i would be a bad politician and secondly westminster wouldn't be able to like deal like the right-wing media and westminster wouldn't be able to actually keep sort of accepting me as a sort of yeah feasible member of parliament is part of your thing also about what you saw politics doing to your home life? Yeah, it is. And, and like, it just sort of was very hard in our family home. Like, yeah. my parents are very split on the Iraq war. Yeah. That caused a lot of stuff. But also, he you're was da- never there. Well, I was about to say, your dad was even, he was very absent, presumably. He was very absent. And yeah. even when he was present, I mean, this is like, speak from personal experience here, you can be absent. Totally. And actually, I, I mean, I'm, this is sort of a bit too sort of sad to talk about in the show, but I'm talking about this in the book. Like, when he was still working in Downing Street, but he would have these really low, 
moments of depression and sort of anxiety and he'd be at home and he wouldn't be able to speak to any of us and he wouldn't like wouldn't be able to get out of bed but then he'd go out or tony would call and he'd answer and like perk up and be fine for like five minutes or he'd go out and do an interview and be fine and it was kind of like he had a different face and a different character for politics and it was almost like obviously that's because you you show your most vulnerable side to people that you love the most and that you feel the closest with but when i was a kid i did take it quite personally for understandable reasons yeah i don't meet anyone my age who wants to have a career in politics maybe that's the circles that i how old are you 25 yeah i've I still don't know if I've met anybody who wants to have a career no. in politics no. substantially older. No. I think but I don't have a single friend who's a member of a political party. Right. Like, they're political, but they don't they don't see Westminster as the sort of hub of mm. that kind of change-making. What's the next thing for you, then? Are you doing Edinburgh again this year? Are you writing a new um, show? So I'm not... I'm doing... I just started a comedy night called The Disgraceful Club, which is at this uh, nightclub called The Box in Soho. And we are taking that up to Edinburgh, but I'm not writing a new show. Because Which night of the week is that? Uh, what, in Edinburgh? No, the or box. in London? It's on Wednesday, the uh-huh. 12th I'm of normally there on Tuesdays, so... Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry about that, but, you know... Uh, <laughs> Have you been? No. Uh, <laughs> Have you been, Jeff? No, never. Have never. I've seen pictures of Kate Moss falling out of there in the <laughs> what, is it sort of early 2000s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where they have all these crazy, like, sex shows basically. yes of course well that's why i'm there I'm normally there on the <laughs> yeah, that's what I was <laughs> it's a, it's a very specific thing on a tuesday night exactly no now you've found out my secret yeah. uh. will you give us before you go grace will you give us a reason to be cheerful a reason to be cheerful um your reason to be cheerful yeah but i, I mean like, i think myself well, I can say it though, but I mean, you, while you think of it, I mean, look, I think it's interesting, isn't it? You grew up in this new Labour household. You got quite alienated by like politics, big P politics, but you're engaged in politics, but in just a totally different, in a, in a, in a totally different way. And, you know, possibly a more effective, a more effective way. The work on feminism, you know, the podcast, all of that stuff. I think that's really, but I think in a way, it doesn't it show that you kind of, Whatever the flaws, you, you you know, you did grow up in a household where you were like, you kind of, kind of were brought up to, to care about the world. Well, I think you can make a change. It's sort of a privilege to think you can change the world. Do you know what I mean? My reason to be cheerful is probably comedy. It's it's the thing that gets me through the day. You got the bug. Exactly, but not even like I love doing it. I love writing it. It's like at the moment I'm doing so many other things work-wise and the whole time I'm just like all I want to be doing right now is writing comedy and and gigging Um, and watching comedy as well. I watch so all I watch is comedy. Who's any good? Uh, Ali Wong's one of my favourite stand-ups. Yeah, she's she's coming to UK. She is. The tickets are like £250. Huh? Sarah Barron. Sarah Barron, yeah. I hear, (laughs) yes. (laughs) <laughs> I have mixed feelings. I've met her. Right. Yeah. I met her at a festival in Shoreditch. It was this like comedy festival in the summer. Was she nice to you? Yeah, she was really nice. We spoke in the green room for a bit. She's, she's very needy to be liked by people. <laughs> yeah. Really? Sarah? was you. No, I'm even more needy, <laughs> oh. but she's just better at <laughs> oh, it. Well, yeah. better, at, better at hiding it and better at being liked. Sarah Barron, definitely. Yeah. I really like her. Um, <laughs> Catherine Ryan. And I love Dave Chappelle. Are you going to go see him? Again, tickets are like £350. I haven't got that. I'm trying to get my agent to sort me one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Grace, it's been brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thank you me. so much. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Oh, we're in the outro. Yeah. And we're back out. We enjoyed the episode so much that we've we decided come to come back out, out and walk. Yep. Yes. We're, we're, we're <laughs> still over. Oh, I had a bone to pick with you. Yeah. Where, where, where were you last night? He said, sounding like a suspicious spouse. Uh, I was at an event. What event were you at? I was at John Burkhardt's book launch, as you well know. That sounds amazing. That sounds exactly the sort of... I mean, I'd love to say hello to John Burko. I mean, what what a character. I mean, surely that's the sort of thing that somebody in your position would have been able to get a plus one on his invitation. You were my plus one. I mean, do you feel slighted? I do. I feel like it's like George Ezra and David Attenborough all over again. This is the third slight... I don't know if we should oh, introduce actually it. actually another event which David Attenborough, I forgot to tell you about that. <laughs> anyway, was it a good night? I mean, you at least thought about inviting me to my army at the musical. <laughs> well, I knew you wouldn't enjoy it based on your previous comments about musicals. That's true. And actually, you know, the reason I didn't invite you to John Burke's book launch is I knew it was your ninth anniversary of you and Sarah meeting. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, it was a kind of, you know, time for you to celebrate that. Right. I just thought there wasn't, you know... I mean, you wouldn't have been able to come, would you? Nicely touched. Should we do our thank yous? Yes. I'd like to thank Shane O'Mara, Joe Irvin and Susan Claris. And thanks to Grace Campbell for coming on. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be there at the Box Nightclub, depending on which night of the week. Oh, there we go. Somebody yeah. waved to you. Yeah. You're feeling happy now. Yeah. It took to the end of the episode. A man who looks like a younger version of you, really. <laughs> Nobody likes to hear that about themselves. Um, so Emma Caution produces our podcast with research and backup from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the idents. Ed C composed the music and the artwork was designed by... Henry Cole. Oh, I'll tell you what we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, go on. Uh, with us being young, trendy millennials, we're yes. on TikTok now. We're on TikTok? Yeah. Now, I haven't looked TikTok. at it. I don't know what it is. So, if you want to find us on TikTok, just, just look for us. He's been walk this way. He's been talk this way. And these have been reasons to go walking. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.